Club Penguin gets acquired by Disney. What happened there? Um, well, that was that was actually super fun. So one of the things that the game was growing was growing quite quickly. Um, but to take it to the kind of the next level, we needed help. Let's go. Hey, welcome to Building Bigfoot. This is the podcast where we dive deep into building uh, an entrepreneurial business. If you are a self uh, self-employed person and you're building a business, uh, you know that uh, it takes a lot to build a business sometimes, and th- sometimes it works out great, and sometimes there's really interesting challenges along the road, and you have to be wise and smart with what you do. And if you raise a lot of money and you build a big business and it's successful, that's great. That's called a unicorn. But what's it called if you are self-funding your business and it's a success? It's got to be something else. It's a Bigfoot. And that's why we're building Bigfoots. So I'd like to welcome Troy Mack, my dear friend, amazing guy. And I highly, uh, I deeply appreciate Troy. And I also look up to him a lot in in so many different areas. And one of the things that uh, Troy has is a very, very cool and interesting background. And so before I connected with him, he actually started with, a really cool company called Club Penguin. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe your kids have played the game. Uh, and then that became Disney. And then he worked at Disney for a long time. And so we're going to dive a little bit into Troy's story. And there will be nuggets here for anyone. And so I'm excited to dive into it and learn a little bit from who this incredible character is. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Troy. Hi. <laughs> I like how you say character. Yeah. <laughs> we're all characters <laughs> we're all characters so so tell me a little bit of um yeah so so why don't you dive into uh maybe take yourself back to the early days of club penguin like what was happening what is club penguin and how did you get involved um all right well club penguin is a online chat for kids um basically if anybody had ever used flash in the Way way back in the in the days when the internet was maybe more cool than it is now, um, we had this little platform where you could run around as a little penguin, little two dimensional penguin, on a screen, and you could interact with other kids um, and via chat. And your little penguin would have a little chat bubble above it. Um, really, that platform was created to give a safe place for kids online, and um, it, it really took off and, uh, you know, being a very unique kind of, um, product at the time, because most kids, you know, they wanted to be online. Um, but within two clicks, uh, any kid can easily get into something that you don't want them on. And, uh, so this was created to be a safe place. There was no links outside of the game to anything. Um, we had, filters on the chat so kids couldn't you know type in their address or their phone number or um, swear or any of those things and and the fun part was is if they tried any of those things um, on their screen it would look like the chat went through but on somebody else's screen it didn't go through so it gave this illusion that they're able to chat and say what everything they want but um, we protected them from um, First off, protect the community, and also protect them from, um, you know, being uh, exposed online um, from predators and that sort of thing. But uh, you know, so kids would put in things that they think um, 
they're able to put in and then they're just wondering why nobody's responding. That's because nobody else is seeing it. So it was kind of fun, but it really took off because it became this unique like sandbox sort of place where kids could actually interact. Um, they would have their own igloos that they could decorate um, with all sorts of furniture items and different things like that. So uh, it really became this place that they could call their own and they could share with others. And um, that's kind of, it just had this explosive, explosive impact. And, and I think it really hit at a really good time um, in the internet uh, before we had the iPhone and all the apps and all that stuff. It was primarily just being on a computer. Oh, it's so cool. And then how did you get involved with that? Um, well, the story is, is I was doing freelance art. Um, and, uh, my wife actually worked for the company that created club penguin at the time was new horizon. She was working as a web developer. Uh, she actually would come home with a few little illustration pieces that she wasn't sure how to do. So she gave them to me. So I quickly did them for her and I knew it was this game, um, that they were working on that they released and I saw the value in it. And, um, I, at the time was a little burnt out from freelance work because it was uh, a lot of feast and famine and, uh, you know, you get a big project, you don't sleep for, days on end and then because you were doing that and weren't marketing then of course there was no nothing coming down the pipeline so i was a little tired of that whole thing I was looking for something a little bit more stable um i saw what they had and i knew that they were wanting to grow and so i actually asked if, if they were in need of any illustrators at the time and at the time they didn't um but they were hiring for customer support and so my thought was that okay well i will i'll work in customer customer support and then at least my foot's in the door in case anything should happen and uh, i remember even on my interview being asked if that's really what i want to do because there's no guarantee that they could ever hire me as a as an artist and um so i did that and within two weeks they uh we just had explosive growth that they were like hey we need you to do some <laughs> we need you to do some illustration here. Now it's up full time, but and um, so I did that, and actually it was probably within I would say six weeks I was full time illustration and um, and working that. So you know my my little gamble worked out um, worked out well, but it was definitely an interesting time because um, you know at the time they couldn't even afford to actually even have a computer for me to work on. Um, so I actually brought my computer from home just so I could do, uh, illustration for the company there. So it was kind of, you know, talk about, uh, bootstrap and making things work. You know, it's so interesting because when you are early on in a team, especially a team where, uh, like that, where, where, where you can see that there's going to be growth, you, you do get new opportunities pretty quickly and it's, and it's very exciting. And I would say, um, you are somebody who is uh, incredibly um, faithful with what you're you have in front of you, and you do it at a ten out of ten level. Like you, you really take pride in no matter what you're doing, and so I can see why you would be given new opportunities immediately. Uh, it just it just makes sense. And so so then, and and what also is kind of neat thinking about this is Club Penguin was self funded, so. 
this wasn't a big, hey, we, we're going to, like, nobody knew this was going to happen. So they didn't go and raise a ton of money. And uh, he, it was really, so maybe you could describe, like, who were the founders of Club Penguin and what were, what were they trying to do? Like, why did they, why were they building this thing? Um, well, basically, they were always described as three dads um, who cared for kids online. And uh, so we had Lance <clears throat> Preeb, we had Lane Merrifield, and uh, Dave Kriska. Um, Dave was the owner of New, New Horizons at the time, the web, de- web development company. And uh, Lane did, you know, was, was primarily their sales. And then Lance was the, I would say, the brain behind everything. And he did a lot of the development for it. And um, he was actually working and doing these games on the side. And um, Dave kind of got wind of what he was working on. And basically between the three of them, they felt that they could actually make it into something big. And um, so that's kind of how they, they they brought it in. And now Lance wasn't working on it just on the side. He was working on, you know, this chat on like full time, um, putting all his effort into it to grow it into something there. And, um, and it really do like, I, I can't stress enough that the idea that it is a safe place for kids online was always a huge, huge driver behind that. It was um, right from like the customer su- uh, support um, areas. It was always very, this, this very caring, wanting to make sure that these kids were having fun, that um, they were safe and, um, and are safe. And we have, tons of stories um kind of based around that so that was like early on that culture was established very very deeply and um just this like genuine care for you know what you would call your clients i mean these are kids but essentially they are your 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 customers and um but really just making sure that they're having the best experience Right, whether it's playing the game or whether it's um, interacting with with uh, customer support, and um, like we we would literally have fun with with these kids uh, if they wrote in because they'd write in about you know all sorts of things. So we'd engage with them on the level that they're at, and you know even some of us got known because we'd have our little online uh, penguin as well, and we'd have our own names, and we would get known. Right. They're like, oh, that's uh, Nanu or that's, um, you know, so and so online. So they get excited because you usually sign, you know, if you responded, you'd you'd sign with uh, your penguin name as well as your regular name. Right. So it was always it was it was kind of fun. And in so much so that we um, I would say, for lack of better word, got in trouble with uh, other companies at the time um, because we quite we had a, a. basically a mandate that we'd we tried to respond to every single email that a kid wrote in um, within 24 to 48 hours and at the time with customer support um, in general in the industry that was unheard of um, especially with like the volume and and the things that we would get in because it wouldn't be like problems with the product they would just be like they were excited and they wanted to express their excitement or they had questions about a certain I don't know, game in there or, you know, how, how do you access this or when's um, uh, rock hopper, the, the pirate going to be coming back again or like, just like things that you wouldn't necessarily 
uh, think were really important, but they were important to the kid. And um, so it was always really important that we'd respond. And that's where we got in a little bit of trouble with the industry because we actually got threats from other you know, companies, I won't name any, but um, basically saying, how dare you uh, respond to kids, you know, that quickly. And we always thought it's, 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 it's that experience. It's that, you know, they're, they're our guests and, and we got to serve them and make them happy. So that was always pervasive, very much within the culture. And I think it's really what helped um, the product explode the way, it, the way it did. Yeah, so that's that's so really putting the the needs of your your customers first, going above and beyond, and not even questioning that that was just the way you, the way you were going to do things, um, even though it wasn't the standard or normal at the time uh, in in the industry. That's yeah, I think that kind of speaks a little bit to the way Club Penguin did a lot of things. Uh, you know, even as the company is bootstrapped, it's self-funded, it's growing quickly. I think they were donating to different causes, like right from day one. Yep. Yep. Ten percent of all profits were were being donated out um, back into the community around the world, um, building schools, um, all that sort of thing. And, and in fact, as the product um, matured, we actually had events. Um, where we got the kids actually involved. So every Christmas, we'd have this event called Coins for Change. And <clears throat> in the game, the kids could play could play little video games in there, and they could earn coins, which they could usually use to buy uh, furniture items for their igloos or clothing items for their penguin um, and, and various different things like that. But around December, we'd run this like this really fun online event, and we'd decorate the, the island um, with all sorts of decorations for Christmas and all that stuff. And we'd have a number of uh, causes that the company were, was supporting. And the kids could actually vote with their coins um, where that money would get allocated and how, like what percent, basically what percentage would go to this charity and to this charity and to this charity. And the kids would like, they got right into it. And you know, they would go and they'd play games and earn as many coins as they can and, and give away like, like tons and tons and tons and tons of these coins, which they could have spent on, um, on items for their, you know, for their avatar and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, it was really, really neat to see how they rallied behind that. And they, I think they really kind of learned valuable lessons and in, in being generous. And, and uh, that was always kind of a very, a very special moment and um and then even from the company perspective we we love seeing that and um it what we what we got to do too was um after the event of course the way all this money was going to get allocated to these charities um we <clears throat> for anybody who wanted to um the lady that was in charge of that who was going to tell these charities like how much they were getting from us and they didn't know they actually some of these charities didn't even know who we were or, you know, that they were going to get money. So she would do like uh, these open phone calls where everybody could listen in. So as, as staff, we would sit there and we'd hear, you know, she'd phone up the charity and be like, Hey, this is, you know, so-and-so from Club Penguin. And uh, we just want to let you know that um, we have this amount of money coming towards your charity. And uh, so it was kind of a very special moment because he, you know, you 
hear in their voice, like the tears and, and, and the joy and all that stuff. So it was um, very much something that could com- contribute back into the world. So not, o- not only, and for me, that was a big thing working there, um, was not only were we um, keeping kids safe online, um, but we were also contributing to the world in a significant way. Um, so it was, you know, we're not just building a video game. Um, we're actually improving the world as we go and making impact even, even too, like on that customer support side, as I mentioned, it, um, sent ripple effects out into the industry as a whole, because, because we were doing that, they had to do that. So as a whole, you're seeing better customer, um, support. And, uh, so, you know, those things, it's, it's amazing how you, could uh, just be working on something that seems, you know, like, well, it's just a little penguin or I'm just drawing something or um, we're just creating a video game, but it actually has significant impact within, within the world at large. So that was a very, very cool thing. I think it even got mentioned at the Oscars. Did it? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I think so. I believe, yeah, Club Penguin got mentioned at the Oscars. It's, um, it's pretty cool. And actually it took note, um, uh, Steve Jobs actually was was uh was interested in club penguin and what was happening and, and what you guys are doing which is r- like really cool so uh when you when you look back and, and you think about it uh growing a team that fast that big there's going to be challenges and you know something about your your company was really proactive and and and, and very positive how, what were some of the challenges that you faced and how did you then overcome them um well, challenges, <laughs> I would say the biggest challenge is we had more ideas than we had time or effort to be able to put into it. Um, so that was, you know, and that was just kind of a learning on, on how, how we can space that out, how we plan for it, how we allocate um, different resources in, in those things. Uh, obviously, um, scaling is is was also a significant uh, endeavor um because it wasn't it was scale on so many different levels not just like staff wise um but also you know building wise and you know where do you put all these people and um you know uh, your servers the amount of servers you'd have to add in um you know because uh more and more kids are coming in there and 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 then also being a, um, you know, you've got your, you've also got your competition. We had a lot of competition at that time. Um, you know, there was, we weren't the only product out there that was, you know, catering towards kids online. You know, there was things such as Neopets and, and, and that. And um, <clears throat> I think the best way we could always overcome it was just our genuine enthusiasm for the product itself. We were like literally kids ourselves. Um, A portion of your, for most people, um, a portion of the day, they would actually just go on and and play and, and spend time with the kids just so that you're in there doing it yourself. And um, I think that you have like this, like love for what you do and why you do it and um when you're in there and so that helps to overcome a lot of obstacles that you that you can have and um so we pushed the boundaries with um the flash technology 
<laughs> you know, there was some limitations in what it can do, but um, we got creative in how we did things. Um, we, you know, even at, at the time to when we first got started, it kind of changed as we went, but like band, bandwidth was, was incredibly expensive. Um, so optimizing everything was like, you know, a big thing. I remember when I first started that we, we had a little newspaper, um, for the kids, like in the, in the game. <clears throat> and basically we always tried to keep it under a hundred K as far as the size of the file in there. Cause you make it bigger then of course more kids that are downloading it. It's going to cost us in bandwidth, which costs you in, in real dollars. Like I said, nowadays that's not, not as much of an issue anymore, but it was a very real thing, you know, so you save 10 K on a little tiny file, you could be saving, you know, um, tens of thousands of dollars. Um, but yeah, I remember like very clearly when we got to a point where we're putting so much into that newspaper and it was being used a lot and we, we had like little crossword games and all sorts of things. It was very much like a real newspaper, but all for this like virtual world. Um, that it was like a very real uh, ask to push beyond the the 100k kind of limit and going okay well can we you know ha- go to 150k and if we do that then we can do this and this and this and um, so that was kind of kind of fun in that in that regard um, to kind of solve those sort of things and, and work within the limitations. No. It's so interesting. I used to, I loved Flash. Action Script. Um, it was so far ahead of its time and it was incredibly efficient. It was really good at doing the things that it needed to do. Uh, it's, I don't think there's a language today that combines the uh, the interface that Flash gave you to develop with plus the ability to actually write stuff inside of it um, that has even come close to what Flash used to be able to do. That's just an aside. That's just a, um, but it, it, it is, it was a very cool thing and you could literally build an entire game world using it, which you, like you said, you know, it's, it's a very much an edge case of flash. You were probably breaking everything. So then fast forward flash gets acquired by Disney. What happened there? Not flash. Sorry. Um, flash does get acquired by a Disney, but, but no, 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 it got acquired by Adobe. Um, so, so, uh, Club Penguin gets acquired by Disney. What happened there? Um, well, that was that was actually super fun. So one of the things that w- the game was growing was growing on quite quickly, um, but to take it to the kind of the next level, we needed help. Um, we needed some expertise. We needed uh, you know we, we need to be able to grow our servers fast. We need to like all these stuff that um, going in the, in the direction that we were would take a lot of significant time and effort and all that stuff. So that's where it was going to start. They started to shop around looking for somebody who they could partner with and who would be interested in, in taking it to the next level. So it wasn't, it wasn't just Disney that was, um, well, Disney ultimately acquired club penguin, but it was also Sony and a, a couple of other, other um, companies that, uh, that were interested and I remember being very much being um, we would get uh, visitors from these companies and they'd be toured or toured around and shown the facility. And, and, uh, and uh, so that was kind of fun, but the, the funnest um, visitor that came was uh, Steven Katzenberg. 
and uh, and as a uh, animation kind of uh, nerd at the time, that was that was a big deal, right? Like, oh my gosh, this guy's here. He's a lot shorter than I I had in my brain, um, but I actually got <laughs> to shake his hand and uh, meet meet them. And at the time, they were working on Surfsaw, um, and so. Uh, as part of, I call it the dating experience with these with these companies. They they gave us an advanced uh, showing of that film. Um, it wasn't even finished. Like uh, most of the scenes were done, but some of them hadn't been fully rendered out. So it was like you know uh, a 3D model that's just like moving. It's not like animated or have the shaders on it. So, but we actually got to watch. We actually got to watch that movie um, as a you know as a dating experience, and so that was fun. Um, but yeah, ultimately they went with uh, Disney um, simply because the values really aligned. Um, there was a value match there um, with Disney at the time, and um, <clears throat> and very much so. And 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 here's the funny thing is that Disney was actually really interested in Club Penguin because they they called it the Club Penguin Mojo, and they felt that. Club Penguin, in many ways, was more Disney than Disney itself, as far as um, the culture. So they kind of wanted to. They would actually send people up from Disney to get some of the Club Penguin mojo, so to speak, so that they could bring it back to the rest of the to the rest of the company. So that was actually catch it. Go go catch the the passion and the and the the heart, the soul. Yeah, and which you wouldn't necessarily think that that's what they want. And I felt like very honored that that's how. Um, the overall company felt because you know when you if you've ever been to Disneyland or Disney World like it's an experience that's like there's really no other experience in the entire world as far as a theme park and and the magic that actually goes on there um, and so you know they're wanting to you know get that mojo from us so that they can infuse it in the rest of the company it was very interesting so it was um, very very cool. Yeah, and then and then so Disney acquires Club Penguin, and then how long did you stay with um, Club Penguin after that? Myself, um, I was with Club Penguin total of nine years, um, and they were acquired um, within the first year and a half. So I think at the year and a half mark. Um, so yeah, that would have been. Uh, it was at seven and a half, seven and a half years with Disney. So. Wow. That was a long time you were with Disney. Yeah. yeah. My, my what kids, my kids it? grew up knowing that mom and dad, you know, cause my wife also worked um, there as well, that mom and dad worked for Disney. So it was always this fun thing. They didn't, you know, they didn't know that there was anything outside of Disney that you could work for. That's pretty cool. I think my, my if, if I worked for Disney, my girls being the age they are, their minds would be blown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because it's just Disney movies, you know, the Disney magical princesses. Yeah. <laughs> it's that the whole everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Lion King. Th- this is still one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, it's just so powerful, that story. So Disney does have a very good job. Like, so, so, but working with a company like that, what was it? <clears throat> Excuse me. So working with a company like that, what was it like, from within what was the corporate culture like uh 
what were some of the changes that you witnessed take place as the company matured? Um, well, as the company matured, especially growing, but also having the very um, corporate now feeling and kind of um, with Disney coming in, there was definitely shifts that happened with that. Um, it was very like in the early days, obviously very startup, very, you know, just do whatever it takes to get it done. Um, also like we would take in a lot of ideas from everybody. And so there's a lot of collaboration within, um, within the team, a lot of like, uh, who wants to do this? I want to do it. And then they just do it. Um, versus a, a cultural shift was it started to become more top down kind of, um, decision-making a little bit heavier on the management level of, of that. So then you're, um, managing like kind of the minutia of, of some of the stuff. So that was one thing that was, um, I found challenging, um, versus, you know, just uh, allowing, you know, the people that are actually working on the product to really, um, build the product that, that they love and how they want to do it. Um, but it was, it's kind of like, there's always a balance because there is like the business needs and business goals that are in there. Right. And so it's very, very important to make sure that, yeah, okay, you can build something that's like super fun and entertaining, but is it going to, you know, uh, increase profits and, and various different things like that. So. So looking back at that, having had time to reflect on it, what would you prescribe could could you imagine a world that took the best of the culture of club penguin and the best of the culture of disney and what would that look like um <laughs> well i think first off like really is having that passion and that culture right so and and i would say like in any business that that's really incredible. If you can get that, like a good solid culture, whatever it's going to be built around that everybody can buy into, um, that goes a long way because that's what you're, that's what you're doing. It's not like, um, you're just, you have a job. It is, your job actually has value. It has a purpose. It has a, and I think that's what a lot of people want is they, they want to have a purpose. Um, and so first off from the club penguin side, now I do strongly believe that Disney has that as well. Right. So you go to Disneyland and um, <clears throat> everybody, so everybody's referred to there as a guest, anybody who enters the park, but all of the um, staff are, are called cast members. And it's actually something that we kind of started to pull in from Disney was, you know, considering ourselves as cast members, it doesn't matter who you are. Um, you know, if it, if it's at Disneyland, it, you know, the janitor is a cast member. He has a part in the, the theater that you're putting on, uh, for everybody to see. So, um, and, and really too, in, in, um, and Penguin and Disney both have this where you really wanted to delight your, your guests, right? You wanted to create magical moments for them. So these little things that you wouldn't expect to happen, then they happen. And, um, and sometimes those were unexpected as well, right? So <laughs> create things by accident. But I think that's like a really, really big thing is, you know, delighting your guests, um, having a really strong purpose and culture. Um, those are kind of like 
you know, keeping, keeping those, those things. And then like one of the things that I liked in the early days of Club Penguin was that everybody, um, everybody's ideas were valuable. Right. So like, there's never like, there's not ever like a bad idea. All ideas are good. They just might not have the right timing. Right. And, and so when you do that, then everybody feels valued. Right. Everybody has something to bring. And, and that's a kind of a big, a really big thing. Cause then people are less afraid to bring their ideas, to bring, to, to try things out, to, um, maybe give it a little bit more. You're like, ah, this, you know, this week, I think I'm, I'm going to put in just a few more hours because I really, really want this particular thing to happen in the game. Um, because I think it'd be really cool and, and, you know, would blow the socks off kids. And, and so that's like a genuine care that goes beyond, um, you know, just a job and goes beyond just a company. And, um, it's something that, you know, I think is a contributor to the world. Like, how are you going to make an impact in the world itself? Um, so that when you, you know, when you move on, it's a better place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel that's, that's very important. Um, because we all have a choice. We can do so many things. You want to know that the thing that you're doing is having an impact, you know, um, not just for personal development, but for, um, you know, for, for the impact of those around us. I really, I really agree with that. The, uh, so you made a, you made an aside there, which I think is important. So let's say you have a team of people and they're coming up with ideas and, um, and sometimes something isn't even an idea of a team necessarily, but it breaks. And that that um, it's an accidental win. And it, it ends up being very successful. How do you recognize that it's a success? How do you capture the baby from the bathwater? Uh, it was, <laughs> it really was in, in, in the kids. You'd see their, their delight. Um, like it would be explosive right away. I mean, we always had, there was a very quick feedback loop oftentimes. And, and so you, you, you discover these things very quickly, um, <clears throat> which is, which is really cool. Like, so I, two examples of like some accidental things that happened that were like mind blowing, that were fun was um, we would often on Wednesdays is when we, we would uh, deploy our content um and then thursday is when it would go live well we deployed our content and i had accidentally left a little trigger and these triggers are invisible but it was a trigger for a box of hats that would give the kids a free hat and uh there was supposed to be a like i think it was a treasure box or or something like that what's like with the was supposed to be the artwork that was supposed to be in that room and then you'd walk up to the box and then you'd get a free hat. Well, the artwork was not there. Um, that was hidden, but the trigger was, was there, right? So these kids are like walking along with their little penguin and they walk across the trigger and all of a sudden they're rewarded with this hat. And of course they just freaked out, right? They, they're like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? I just got a free hat. And of course then they chat and they tell everybody else. And I just remember like in that moment, 
first off, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe I screwed up. I left that, you know, trigger in there and all that stuff. But then it quickly turned into this like really fun thing where the kids are like, you know, they're, they're telling each other now it's this big discovery and it was this fun thing. So that actually turned into, we would do that often. Then we would hide these little triggers and every month there was like an online party, you know, um, and, uh, and everyone had like a different theme, but we'd, we'd hide things then. So they would have to like literally take their penguin and walk like inch by inch over the entire Island to find where a hidden trigger was. And they would do it like, and it would be funny because they would find these things like within seconds. Um, so, so that was kind of fun for us and it was always fun for them. So, it, you know, you, you got that feedback and that's where like a little mistake turned into something that we could do on a regular basis. That was fun for them. Um, another fun, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like a big um, discovery or accident necessarily, but we had this like, but just wait, before, yeah. you, before you go on to the next one, I'm so curious. So, so, when you said you you could like, I mean, that sounds like awesome. And maybe, maybe you guys were like inventing Easter eggs, you know, now they're a thing, but at the time, maybe it wasn't such a thing. And so what, um, how was it that, uh, that you were able to quantify the, the reaction? Like, how do you measure that? And how could you bring it back to the team? Um, well, the measure, I mean, the measurement was by pure observation. Right. You could, you, I mean, we see the game live and, and, um, and we'd be in there and we'd, we'd be playing, but we'd also get feedback right away. So there would be, there was a number of like forums and bulletin boards, um, that the kids would all be involved in. And, um, they would post like anything and everything about the game. Anytime we launched anything, they would have full breakdowns, um, uh, you know, uh, walkthroughs of absolute, and it would be like literally within, um, you know, if it was a big party, it'd be able to full walkthrough within a few hours. Like it, it was crazy how fast they could consume. <laughs> We'd spend like a month building something and within less than an hour, they've consumed all of it. Um, but we would always like, we'd le- release anything. Um, and we'd watch those. We'd like, we'd watch the, you know, get that feedback right away. Um, we would compile it, um, you know, so that everybody could read what the feedback was so that we would know very quickly how, how are, you know, how the kids are taking it and what they like, what they dislike and, and then kind of learn from that. Of course, you know, in later years, we actually got more like metrics on that and we could actually measure things like that. And we would actually do full on breakdowns of, um, of every, everything we released. Um, you know, top comments on it and, or things like how many times, um, how many, um, of our, like what percentage of the kids actually got one specific item, what was the most popular item. Cause we would release like, you know, clothing in like release catalogs and release new clothing for their penguins and all that stuff. And we would actually monitor, okay, which ones were, you know, uh, purchase the most and that sort of thing. So it then help inform, okay, well, we need to do more things like that. Or we release this one and only two people actually ever got it. So no one's interested in that. Um, so that was, so in the early days we didn't have that, but we'd watch very carefully in forums and, and then of course, customer support kids right in um, with theirs. And we, you know, try to compile that and then pass that around to the company. So it was a kind of a, a good breakdown of things. So when you were 
you know, there. And um, there must have been a really close relationship between the people who were in support and the people who were designing and developing the game. Because for that sort of feedback loop to go, it's not because you, you, you observed it, you created a report, and then you handed that off to somebody who then reads it. There must have been conversations that were just happening. Mm. Yeah, no, there was. It, so it was always like a, a company-wide thing. Like it wasn't, oh, there's support over there. And there's, you know, they were eventually, like we had two separate floors. So development was on one floor and then um, support was another. I mean, I think that was probably the biggest separation between the two. But um, we would actually do, if we were working on anything, we would do always do previews to the customer support team, showing what, what we're building and um, also even getting some early feedback from them. Um, they're giving us feedback on, you know, what, what's the response from kids? What were the top things? What were some issues? Um, so it was always like this, this feedback loop. Eventually we actually had, um, we had a common area and, uh, we would, you know, two big screens and every two weeks we'd actually do like a full breakdown of, you know, at that time we had multiple teams working on multiple things all at once. And, uh, we, you know, each team actually had their own name and some teams even made their own logo. Um, and, uh, you know, for their, for their team. And, um, but we would present, uh, early concepts, like concept drawings all the way through to like, as we were working on things, everybody would get like a full breakdown of, Hey, that, you know, we, we planned out this thing and this is what this is what's going to happen nothing's been drawn yet but this is what we're going to do and then you know two weeks later you see oh all this stuff's been drawn oh and now uh, all this uh, coding's taking place so now this game is at this certain level of development and showing it off at the same time there's um uh, you know breakdown of those forums and then eventually we did have social media channels so we would take info from those and and even like right down to um, kids would submit their, like, they would draw, like they would send us drawings and, and, and stuff like that. And, uh, we would actually like view their drawings. Like they'd pull out like some of the best ones and then everybody would get to see some of the fan mail that, uh, that was, that was sent in. And, um, I actually still have, um, it, it's, it's great. It's, it was sent in to me. My, my penguin name was good T and, um, this kid actually drew like my avatar with how it was dressed at the time and um, sent it in um, to me. So that was kind of, that was kind of a really special moment. Um, so, yeah, so it was just like everybody kind of working together and, and involved with it. And um, actually in the early days, we, one of the requirements is if you were brought on, if you were on the production team, um, you would actually have to spend uh, a week with the customer service and uh and actually answering questions and getting used to that you know what what's going on in there and i think that's actually really really important because it kind of it sets the frame right right so this is who you were you were building with and um who you're building for so yeah that is really cool really really awesome and then so now what did you do so so why did you leave um disney and what did you do after <laughs> Um, well, I left not on my own, um, uh, merit, but, uh, I, they were doing company, um, um, uh, cutbacks at the time. And so I ended up being on the cut list. And, uh, so that's how my career with Disney ended, unfortunately. Um, 
but uh yeah from there it's i kind of just i took a break and um <laughs> did a few things um started uh tried to start a business um doing uh, shoreline cleanup and bought a boat and um unfortunately with uh starting that business that it was very like you had three months of the, of the year to actually um make hay so to speak and uh by the time we got all of our licensing and all of that everything in place it would like we only had a month left <laughs> so didn't work out um the way we planned unfortunately but it was still fun learned um learned a number of things um and and how difficult it can actually be to to start a business um and uh also got into um doing garage, garage reno renovations um we'd do uh the, you know the the painted floors and we'd set up uh, custom built shelving in these in these garages basically turning them into a man cave and um yeah so that was kind of that was fun um and you know i kind of took I, I love that sort of thing yeah I, that's that's definitely on my bucket list i would like to you know work on my garage and do some things for but one of the challenges i have with my garage is it's on a bit of a slope mm. the the way they uh poured that slab they, it's a little bit too too sloped for a garage so i'm thinking at some point i might do a full like um yeah it's a big job but well there's nothing like having a, a garage like fully organized and it just looks clean like yes. you know you got that that floor that you can pretty much like eat off of and <laughs> i i that just makes me so happy inside thinking about it yeah, <laughs> yeah that's pretty cool so so then then, then what did you do um, as far as, well, that, that kind of, uh, didn't really end for me, but, um, I, I kind of put it to, to the side and, um, I had been involved with, you know, my own, like trying to start up my own companies and, and, um, and the, and the difficulty of that and you know, learning a lot about sales, but the challenge was always leads, bringing those leads in. Um, we had actually moved. Um, and so I took the time, I think I took three, well, not quite three months, but I just took them like, okay, I got really nothing, a whole lot going on. I got the time. So took those three months, just completely do a renovation, um, on our house and rebuild the kitchen and do all the flooring, repaint the entire house, et cetera, et cetera. So that was kind of, that was kind of fun, but I was always, I was thinking, okay, well, what am I going to do from here though? Like I can't, you know, spend my lifetime uh, just renovating a house. Uh, and I'd done a lot of studying on sales and the sales process and, and, and it, it's funny because it was literally not something I thought I'd ever really want to get into, but I'd be walking around and we, because, because we we're doing a renovation, we're constantly going to all these stores and, you know, looking for products and all that stuff. And I was really frustrated at, um, every time we went into these stores, these salespeople, in my opinion, were just horrible. Like they just you know, there was no personality. There was no, I don't know. They just didn't seem to want to get to, everybody just wanted to close you, right? Sell you something and then on your way. And then I remember turning to my wife going, you know, I think I, I think I could do this better than they do. <laughs> so, um, so that was kind of the. That's how, that's how it starts, right? You experience the pain yeah. and then, and then your brain starts going around and solving the problem. Yeah. So that was kind of like, the whole catalyst of, of, of that. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And then, um, 
of course, a, a good friend of mine let me know uh, about Street Text and that they were looking for uh, salespeople. So I thought, well, hey, isn't that convenient? Why don't I <laughs> why don't I uh, reach out to them and uh, and see what this is all about? Yeah. So, so what was your your first thoughts when you you saw Street Text? Because so it was Dave, Dave Durant. He's a mutual friend of ours. Nice guy, uh, good guy. So, so what was your first thoughts when you when you checked out the company and you saw what was happening? And well, first off, I mean, obviously, it, being small startup that always appeals to me, um, just because I, I I like that. I like that flavor of things where everybody's kind of involved and and um, you know, uh, there's just, there's just something about it. Um, but the other thing I saw was in the product itself. So, um, having, you know, dipped my toes into entrepreneurship, into creating businesses and, um, and being familiar with that, the number one challenge, like if you're starting a business and even if you're keeping a business going was, um, where am I going to get my customers from? Like, you know, I'm going to get them and you know, traditional methods are always, you know, the cold call, which nobody really wants to do or door knocking or, and, and you can do those things, but it's, it's hard. And, um, and that was a big thing to me. Um, when I looked at the product, I looked at street text, I'm like, Oh, wow. Like here's, here's a way that solves that problem. Where am I? Where's my next customer coming from? It generates leads. And um, I'm very much a huge proponent of a business, a small business specifically. I think it makes the world go round. Um, and and I applaud anybody who, you know, has a business and, and is trying to make it work because it's not easy. Um, but here I saw something that could help the average person really take their business to another level and and um that is really what really appealed to me um to really benefiting again bringing it like what's your impact going to be in the world and um you know seeing that 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 opportunity that um here's something that can potentially get a business more customers and when they have more customers and more business, they have more profit, they, you know, their, your lifestyle improves and you, they as well then have a greater impact in the world. And it's kind of just this ripple effect. So, um, and so it kind of aligned with my, my values at the time and even still, um, you know, of course to the, to this day, but, um, where we can really help other people, um, by making, so we can make an impact on other people. Um, and they can also impact the world, and um, it's a so it's a good thing. It is very cool when so so one of the, the you, you get to know um, the street text clients very well personally, and you you start to you don't start you, you you get excited when you find out they met someone new because you know in your heart that they're going to get served really well, mm-hmm. and. I think that is such a rewarding thing because, uh, you know, I'm I'm a big believer in relationship business. I feel that it does the world good service simply by having more people connected and and in in relationship with one another. 
there's a really interesting uh, stat fact uh, that if you take an introvert and you take an extrovert, an introvert obviously prefers to um, to be around fewer people, an extrovert prefers to be around more people. You know, that's one of the big differences. But both introverts and extroverts are happier after being around people, no matter the amount of people. And that includes introverts. Mm -hmm. So they might be unhappy to go into it. Maybe they're like uncomfortable during it, but they actually leave happier. So there's, there is a, there's, and it sounds like Club Penguin was about that too. It was about creating place for kids to connect and interact with in a healthy way um, because they don't even know their own boundaries at that age, you know, and, and, uh, and street text is very much in, in trying to create relationships and connect people, but so that they turn into real world connections, not just mm-hmm. stuck online. Um, and I think that's like, uh, to me, that's that's something worth fighting for is is real world relationships. Yeah, uh, in business now. So, um, you you jump into sales, and you know this is a new area for you, a new field. Um, what's going through your mind? Uh, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean. It's- my my background is like, you know, uh, so varied, but um, you know, engineering, illustration, and and game design, video game design. So I'm stepping into something that um, is in many ways very foreign. Um, but I also had that that feeling. I'm like, well, I can do this. Like it it can't be that hard, right? Like so, um, and I think that's probably like, that's just part of who I am. I'm always wanting to try something new, um, and, and, you know, give it a go and see what happens. And, um, so yeah, so that was it very much was like, okay, what am I doing? This is crazy. Um, but the thing is, is that I, I caught vision of what, of what the company is doing. Right. And, um, and so it's when you know that that's a big thing too, like, especially like from a sales perspective, if you have confidence in what you're selling, it's not a hard thing to do. It really isn't. And, um, and so that was how I took it. And I'm like, you know, we, we have X number of people that are interested. It's not a big deal for me to give them a phone call out of the, out of the blue. And, um, and, you know, see what they're interested in because they've expressed it and and so so how can we serve them how can we um get them to that next level really understanding you know what what the product can do and um how it can benefit them um and then it just serve 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 right um and that to me was was is the bigger thing you just serve like i'm here to serve you you wanted some information i'm going to give you some information what more do you need um you know, and, and that people catch on to, and, you know, when they, when they, when they sense that, that you're, that you're, you're just there to help them. That's all. Right. And, um, barriers go down. Um, they love that. You can build that relationship with them. Um, again, it is building relationships. So what can you notice about them? What can you, what do you hear them say? What do they you know, are you, are you okay with just maybe just talking about anything 
but your pro- product that um, that you have and just having a, a little um, chat because people do want to feel valued. They want to feel like they do have a place in this world. And if you can give that to them um, in a moment, um, they will listen to what you have to say. They can sense that and and it's genuine. So that's that bringing it back to that relationship. I think it's, it's vitally important. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and you were like a duck in water when you joined street tax, because not only did you quickly become, you know, you, you were obviously really good with people. You are very good with people. Uh, you, you also, you quickly became like one of our foremost product experts, not just of street tax, but of Facebook. All of a sudden, you you had such deep knowledge of Facebook ads and and what worked, what didn't work. Uh, you know, you so uh, you know amongst the team yourself, Logan. Um, you guys were figuring out. Okay, this is this is having a lot of traction over here. Maybe we should try this. Have we tried to consider doing a split test? What is a split test? <laughs> and and then really, um, yeah, figuring out a lot of of what became. Uh, over the last few years, the street text that is to street text today. And um, as a result, you, you then, you know, you, you took on even more um, of the, the product role and, and now you're leading that in a really big way. Uh, what would be, if, if someone's listening and they're, they're thinking about, okay, you know what, I, that actually, what you communicated a little earlier on, which is getting leads from my business through Facebook. That's something I'm really interested in. What would be some, some recommendations if they, especially if they've tried Facebook in the past or they tried Facebook in the last year and a half when it was kind of challenging. So Facebook's improved a lot. If you, um, and if you've been using street text, one thing we can say as a fact is uh, we actually kept one of the proudest things I think we can say as a team is we kept the performance of all of our customers' ads incredibly strong. In fact, at par, if not better than it was before I was 14 <clears throat> in 2021 and all the way till today, uh, which, you know, is is truly a feat. And Troy, who, you know, we're talking with here, was a major piece of that, figuring out domain verification, figuring out new ways of, of connecting um, accounts, all sorts of things. So make sure we were optimized in a way that was giving data back to Facebook. Um, so, so with that said, what would be some recommendations that you would have for someone just from abroad to start? And then maybe we'll dive a little bit deeper into it. Um, well, Facebook lead generation. Um, I mean, the great thing is that of course we make it, we make it easy, but it's still top of funnel leads. And that's the biggest thing that I would like to get, um, across to people is that you have to be patient with it. Um, this, this was a stat that was uh, I actually just learned yesterday. Um, so it's, and it's a really good one. But when people were polled, only 2% of people said that they would do business with somebody they had just met. 2%. Right? 2%. Right? Which actually is, I thought was, a, quite honest, a little high. <laughs> but when you take a look at Facebook lead generation and you throw an ad out there and somebody clicks on it and they leave their info because they want a home evaluation or a list of um, properties that they they might be, you know, a list of pools with a home in their area. Um, those people, I mean, they've just met you. I would even say they haven't even just met you yet. Yeah. it's, it's before. Because they haven't interacted with you. 
So it's way before that. So if you take that and, go and think about it, you're going, okay, well, 2% of people will do business with somebody they have just met. Well, if I haven't even met them yet, then it's not even 2%, right? So you like your primary goal then needs to be how am I going, how are we going to meet? What is going to be my first impression when we do meet? After we meet, how am I going to improve? We were talking about relationship. How am I going to improve that relationship? How am I going to add to it? And, you know, if you, the best way that you can improve any relationship is you give, right? You, you provide value. You bring something to the table, right? You can't take and, and expect a relationship to improve, right? Um, so you nurture on that. And if you really take that, if you take that approach, um, the opportunity will exponentially grow with with um, online lead generation. What's and, the percentage of people and, who would work with someone? Like, how much time does it take before that percentage increases? Oh gosh, I mean, you could use the rule of seven. <laughs> really, um, how many touches are you going to have? And then, what's the quality of that touch? Right? What what is that interaction? Um, because is, is there a face behind this person? How can you express that? You know, and, and we've talked about within, within, um, you know, if you've been with street text any time, Marcus would always say, Hey, you got to get video in there and you got to get that out there. Cause then they see you, they see your tonality and you'd see, you know, and it's very true. Right. Um, at the least have like a little profile image in your email. If they see your email, because then it's like, Oh, well, that's, that's Jonathan. That's who, that's what he looks like, right? You don't you go from this because the minute you can start bringing that personality in there, bringing it humanizes everything, right? And and a lot of like what we tend to do can be very cold. And um, if you warm that up, if you uh, if you put yourself out there as, hey, I'm just a normal person with likes and dislikes and hobbies and maybe a family and I like dogs and hate cats or you know whatever that is um then people see you as a human then those barriers go down and they go well this is just a person who has a business and I see that they're very good at it and yeah maybe I'll give them a shot fun fun um, note on the cat side so uh Troy's in Costa Rica and uh in you, you moved there a couple of years ago and it's a, it's a beautiful place, but they happen to have a devil cat. <laughs> Troy had a wild little puma uh, show up in his backyard. He sent the photo to us and I was like, that looks like a devil cat. And it's literally named. Yeah. It's almost named that. It's it, I forgot what it's called, but. Jaguar Undi. Jaguar Undi. But the name like means devil cat. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that. Um, so the. Uh, so, so here's another like interesting stat and I want, I'm trying to reconcile this uh, as I'm listening to this uh, is a couple things. Number one is we know that uh, NAR knows like for real estate agents, 70% of people work with the first agent they meet. So they might 2% might say they'll work with the first person they meet, but 70% end up meet, working with the first person they meet. So how do you move that line from, because uh, what people say and what people do are not always the same thing. And uh, so so how do you move that line from 
they haven't even just met you because they opted in for something through lead generation. So now you have, um, you know, they've given you their information in exchange for value and you've got a value relationship, but you don't have a, um, I've met you now relationship. So how do you move that needle faster with Facebook ads? Um, Well, it comes after the, after the ad, the initial ad, obviously it's going to be in your, your follow-up campaign. It's going to be in what you do. Are you sending stuff through the mail? Are you like, how are you reaching out to start building that? Um, And I would say more and more and more now it is in retargeting, right? So somebody's opted in, but now they continually see ads from you, but their value add, right? They're just constant value. So you're, you're top of mind, you're providing value. You seem very knowledgeable. Um, if you can couple video ads in there, then they're seeing you if that's if you're comfortable with that. Um, and that's kind of like where, where they're starting to see you all over the place. So you can you can actually start to build. It's really interesting. Because so they're, they're getting to know you at this point. They're seeing you everywhere. Exactly. They're, they're starting to know yeah. you. And, and I think like, especially if you put a lot of your own personality in there, like um, in, in what you do. Because then they because start to like you. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, it's like even like watching a movie, um, you know, like you don't know this person, but you, you start to actually care for that character that's on screen. Um, because you're getting to know them, you're getting to know their personality, you're getting to know a little bit about them. And so then it's just a natural human thing that you actually start to care. Um, we, that's just how we're wired. And so the more of you, you can put out there in a very um, real, kind of real and raw way. This is just me. I'm a normal person. You're not trying to be a persona of, you know, big man on the campus, but, um, you know, just I'm here to genuinely serve you. And I have a knowledge base, you know, if it's real estate, I know real estate. And these are some of the things I know. Um, And if your personality shines through, um, you know, I, I think of it this way. Um, if I was to go view homes, who would I want to do it with? Right. Do, do I feel comfortable going around town to view homes, um, with you? Right. Would I, I feel comfortable I, I, for you to drive in the car with you? Right. Like, yes, you know? <laughs> I love the, the idea. It's like, if someone were, and it works both ways. It's like, if you were interviewing someone, you ask yourself, would I want to be stuck on an eight-hour airplane flight beside this person? Well, would they want to be stuck on an eight-hour airplane flight beside you? And that's a good question to ask. Like, how am I coming across? Because, you know, is, is this really helpful? Is it interesting? Is it likable? Is it fun? Is it valuable? Um, or is it really one-sided? And, and that's that's a really important question to ask. So then, so now you're you're talking about developing the no. You're even adding in the like. How do you then um, add the, uh, the 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 demand? So you got the demand generation. That's really what it is. Now you need the demand capture. Where do you where do you get the people to then say, okay, this is someone I'm gonna uh, I'm booking an appointment with? How do you get from okay, I see your ads on remarketing to uh, I booked an appointment with you? Um, you got to provide the ask, (laughs) you know, but, 
do it in a way that um, isn't is that that they want to do it, right? Um, there's there's I think there's language you can use. Um, again, what's going to be the value, right? Why would they want to book in with you? Um, you know what what's going to come come about uh, from that? You know, and it all depends on what that journey is and and what how you've interacted and, and where that is. Um, but I think to, to genuinely be interested, right? So like you want to get to know them, right? So you've been working on them getting to know you, but if you genuinely want to get to know them in a way that has nothing to do with, um, with a sale, Right. So we're, again, developing a relationship or developing a two way relationship now. Um, so you, you, you ask those questions, get, you know, friendly with those questions. Obviously, if you don't know them too deeply, you don't want to get too, too in the weeds. But um, but, you know, there are those things that you can you can actually start to probe and, and start to wonder, you know, and it can even be you can use, you know, um, real estate as the catalyst for that. But, you know, there are, there are questions where you can get a conversation started that can be really, really interesting. Right. So, you know, tell me, um, love to get to know more about, you know, love to get to learn more about you. Tell me what you, what you love most about your home. You know, so we're not talking about selling a home. We're not talking about anything. We're just going, you, you have a house. What do you like most about it? You know, everybody's going to have something they like about their home, but um, or maybe they don't, and they'll tell you. Right? They're like, "I hate my home. <laughs> That's why I want to sell." So, water's coming through the um, roof, the doors falling down. It's time to move. Ex- yeah, exactly. And that you know, and then and then you can you can dive in into those things. So tell me, you know, maybe maybe oh, I, I really like my kitchen. Oh, it's great. You know, tell me more about that. What do you really like about your kitchen? Oh, well, it's, you know, the countertop that we put in. I just really love this countertop or et cetera, et cetera, right? So you, you're genuinely interested um, in them and people open up. And so and you got that, that two-way, right? So, you, you know, you're, you're developing that relationship where I actually really care. Let's, you know, let's find out what your interests are, what, you know. So anyway. So, so from what I've heard from what you said is that Facebook ads – is an incredibly powerful way to really fill the funnel. And now this is where you got to put a little bit of your marketing hat on because you're realizing I'm filling the funnel, but it's my responsibility to get them from the top of the funnel all the way down to the bottom of the funnel where they're now working with me. And in the middle of that journey, you need to have really built your know, that like, and that trust. And the best way to create the know is through remarketing. So um, it's like, as you and I both know, remarketing can be incredibly inexpensive and um, really easy way of staying front of center of these people. So you're top of mind so that you don't go out of mind. So if they are in the the journey of, um, of, of looking to work with, with somebody, you're the person who now has risen to the top. And then the key there is layering and likability. So likability is going to be, uh, your personality that's in the content, but also, um, you know, if you if you're really good at like one on one relationships with people, 
you know, adding them to your, your Facebook as a Facebook friend. You know, maybe you've had a conversation with them and just, just now you're friend with them. They don't have to be liking or commenting on every one of your posts, but then they get to see you in their feed. And so because they see you, they see your posts with your family. They see your posts where you're talking about uh, some of the things you value, maybe your sports team, and maybe they get to see how you treat your clients and, and they start to like you and they start to think to themselves, man, this, this is an individual who, like you said, I could see being really fun to go and do business with. And then, and then the art is making sure you have got call to actions or asks in the conversations or in the ads, the remarketing ads or the follow-up or the um, maybe you're doing mail outs, whatever your, whatever your um, communication style is that you're having with this, um, this person, make sure you're, you're, you're communicating and ask so that they don't just become your best friend. They become your best client. So that they actually say to themselves, okay, yeah, not only was I thinking about buying or selling or getting into the market or doing this financial decision or making this or purchasing this app, they're actually thinking, oh, I'm going to choose you. Thanks for that reminder. Yes, let's let's have a conversation and a consultation uh, over that. And and now you're, you're taking it further. So that is a really, um, that's a really good breakdown of, of, if you can understand that, just by having that knowledge, you'll already be, I'd say, like 99 times further ahead than most people getting into Facebook ads. Because now you have a really good understanding of what it's going to take um, to, to be successful with it. So now, if you, were to, if you were to maybe give like two or three tips on Facebook ads themselves, what would you tell people to look at? when they are comparing their ad, like how can you tell if an ad's working or not? That's a question I get all the time. Whether it's working or not, is it generating leads? Um, <laughs> um, I mean, well, and that, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's breaking down your metrics and you know, if it's a lead generation ad, is it bringing in leads? Um, what is your, what is your cost to acquire that lead? Um, that's why we, you know, tests don't guess, right? Like you can, you know, doing a split test is really vitally important. You know, we discovered that, right? That, you know, if you rely on Facebook's algorithm, you, you can roll the dice, right? So um, don't roll the dice, um, do a split test. And and because Facebook is each ad you're running, it's getting a different, slightly different audience. And you don't know, you know, if I was to run out one ad, um, maybe Facebook got it right. Maybe Facebook didn't get it right. Um, so how would I know otherwise? So I'm going to load the dice in my favor. I'm going to launch three. I'm going to compare the results, you know, in a 24, 48-hour period. Um, the, the other thing, too, is, uh, you know, ads ads that capture their, their attention. So um, things that are familiar to you, things that are going to bring you in. You know, we talk about you know, using landmarks. We talk about using... Uh, street signs we talk about like there's and, and it can be anything like that right maybe it's your favorite sports team stadium those things like are are what grabs people's attention um i i shy away from any ads that look extremely like an ad you know um if it can look a little bit more native like it actually belongs on 
Facebook, you're going to pay attention to it and thinking, you know, more that it's a post. Um, yeah, you're cutting so, past the ad blindness. Exactly. I mean, we're, we've all gotten really good at it, right? How, <laughs> we're very, very, very good at ignoring ads because they're all over the place, right? And you're like, oh, it's just, it's in my peripheral vision. But there's, you know, sometimes there's just some, some things that capture our attention. Um, you know, even sometimes it'd just be a little bit um, surprising with it. You know, a funny image um, can be, you know, that you just look at it and you smirk. And then now that you're looking at it, you're, you're reading what the copy is. And and, uh, and now you see what the offer is. And, and now you're interested that way. So um, those are like little little things that you can do to find an ad that will work. Um, but very much looking at your ad performance and knowing what that is. Um, also, and, and then also testing it out because every market is different, right? And, and I think the mistake that a lot of people make um, is that they compare, they want to compare their results to somebody else's results in another market when they're two entirely different beasts. Um, and so it's, that's why, you know, test for yourself, see what it's like in your market, run other ads. And if you continue to get very similar performance, well, that's just what your performance is in your market. Um, and that's, that's okay. That's, you know, that's, that's your so baseline. That. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. now you can, now you have a number that you can actually work with. And as long as it's ROI positive, that's a number you yeah. can, you can keep. It's literally something you can, it's printing you money because, this is the way I think about it. And you can you can share what what you think about this is that it's if if you it doesn't matter what your conversion rate is. It could be one percent, it could be fourteen percent. And I've heard both. It could be less than one percent. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that your ROI makes sense. And so what that means is if you are generating um if you are if you are if you're spending, let's say five hundred dollars in a month on ads. But you know from that spend that you're making um, between 2.5 to 4x of that spend. That's just that's just a um, um, that's just a minimum. So if you if you're making 2.5 to 4x of that spend, so for every $500 you're spending, you're making 1,500 to $2,000. Well, that is great ROI. That is fantastic ROI. That's green ROI. Now, in some industries, like real estate, your ROI is actually going to be closer to 15 times. So if you're spending $500, you're actually going to be making something closer to $5,000 to $6,000 or even more on that spend. And what that tells you is, and and you can actually go down all the way down to $2,500 or less. um, because you have your ROI. It, it's it's just, but you need to know what that number is and you need to pay attention to that number because that's much more important than your conversion rate. Because if you are able to capture people and fill your funnel and you can see what you, is coming out on the other side, now that's something you can keep reinvesting and it's really, really scalable. It's something that you can actually, okay, I'm going to put more in, I'm going to run more ads and I can get more out as a result. So what's my goal? I'll just work backwards from there. And as long as the green, as long as it's always green, as long as it's always more than 2x, 2.5x, I'm good as far as my ROI. And I think that's what people forget. They get they lose track of that. They start worrying about, well, how much money do you spend a day on your ads? 
or um, what's your lead conversion rate? What my lead conversion rate is X, or are you running listing ads or are you running um, a different kind of ad? And they've, um, but none of those things, when you put it in perspective of, well, what's my actual output? Uh, that changes the whole conversation. And I think part of it is because, um, is, is because until you do get your first ROI, you're just maybe not sure. And so you're, you're, you're kind of, you're just looking at your, it's almost like your other people in the class. You're like, what did you write as your answer for, for, <laughs> for this one? Because I'm still learning and that's okay. And I'm just, I'm just trying to get a, a you know, a feel from the room that I'm on the right track. And the, the reality is, is you are on the right track. And as you said, when you get from top of funnel, um, some of those clients, especially bigger transactions, smaller transactions, they're going to be able to transact right away. But bigger transactions, you could be taking, you know, a while before you see that first deal, because uh, especially if your your budget is small to begin with to get to attract people because you're getting, you know, a smaller subset. And, that, and that's totally normal. But the second you get that first ROI, now you have a number, you have a baseline. And you can look at it, you can work off it. And um, and so it's like any good initiative. Give yourself a minimum, and I say a minimum, of two quarters. Say, okay, it, it, it's pretend you're managing someone else. What would you say? If, someone, if you were to hire someone to do your SEO or whatever else you do, you say, okay, in two quarters, here's what the goal is. Is that fair? Okay, that's a fair goal. I'll give you two two quarters to try to achieve that goal. And then after two quarters, you look at the goal and you say, okay, either the goal was hit or it wasn't hit. And, you know, we need to have a conversation at this point as to what happened. Was it that um, it still is possible and we can see the roadmaps panning out? Or is it that um, we're so far off that we need to change the strategy? So give yourself a minimum of two quarters. When, and this is true with Facebook ads. Give yourself a minimum of two quarters because that will give you the data you need to be able to say, okay, is this a good strategy? And then as you were talking about earlier, it becomes exponential really, really fast because all of a sudden, all the investment you've done two quarters ago starts showing up in the fourth, like the third quarter, the fourth quarter, the fifth quarter, and it keeps building on because now you have other months you've been advertising and that just like the, the funnel is just growing. And that's when you see the big numbers. But people sometimes look at the big numbers and they think, how do I get there? How come that person over there is doing? Well, it's because they started very small. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I've seen that time and time again. It's it, there. A lot of people compare themselves to others, but they don't know the whole backstory behind how that person actually got to where they're at. I mean, they didn't. They didn't just arrive that day. <laughs> just woke you know? up, stretched just, their yeah. arms, and thirty clients fell in their lap. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like watching somebody you know hit a home run. Well how many times did they swing that bat before they ever hit a home run right yes and, good point that's usually that that, that i remember that we don't see yeah like being a kid and, and like yeah. just in standing in the fields of the prairies throwing the ball in the air and swinging and missing throwing it in the air swinging yeah. and missing <laughs> i probably did that hundreds of times <laughs> yeah but you kept at it and you eventually, you know, you, you eventually connect and then you connect once and then, you know, you may miss a couple more times and then you connect twice and then, yeah. you know, eventually you'll be consistent. You'll connect every single time. But, um, that's, I think that, I think people need to have a lot more patience, um, with themselves. Sometimes I think we put greater expectations on ourselves. I know I'm guilty of that. Um, but, uh, that's why it's, that's why it's important and to take that, 
and yeah, it, it's funny. You, you kind of you touched on it a little bit, but it's every time I hear um, somebody have success, uh, I, you know, in our mastermind or, or something, I actually start to count in my head how long it was going to take before the very next question that's going to get asked. And almost 100% of the time it is, what ad did you run? Now, I would say, and, <laughs> and, and, and you know, knowing what we know about, you know, things we might say, okay, well, that's, you know, it's not necessarily going to be the most helpful question based on what you're trying to answer. But I would say this, the kind of ad you run actually does matter for the top of funnel because some ads are more top of funnel than others. Some ads are actually kind of like middle of the funnel. And so if you find a sweet spot where you've got a, you've got a, um, a call to action and an offer that's aligning with someone who's not at the very, very, very top of that funnel, but it's kind of like one step or two steps down in the rung, but you're able to mm-hmm. get leads for a really good price as a result from Facebook. That's like a ding, 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 ding formula. And so there are certain ads, there are certain kinds of campaigns that we know of that we'll recommend to go run because we'll say that's a that one is going to get you a lot further because you've already started at the pre-just met versus, mm-hmm. you know, I am just browsing. That's that's too far out. Or I haven't even made a decision yet. Like I'm not even in a decision that's too far. So so I, I do want to qualify that, which is it's not always a bad thing to ask what ad is someone running if you can see that their their um, their pipeline is shorter. But then, but backing it up and just saying, okay, well, if your pipeline's actually not shorter, then it's really not the right question. The real question is, okay, how are you introducing yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Let's break it down. What, what did you do after the lead came in? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, in, in, like, in real estate, the other thing to, to always be um, to remind yourself is, is that if you, if you're running a seller ad, the average seller takes six to 12 months to even decide to sell their home. Yeah. It's wild. Right. So, and you don't know where you are in that, in that decision-making process. So, I mean, the best place to be in that decision-making process is on day one, right? Because I look at it, I'm like, okay, now your job is you've got six to 12 months to warm that person up so that when they make the decision, they're making it with you, right? And so that, that you go, okay. And I think if you really think about it that way, it, it takes a lot of that pressure off. You don't have to wow them today. You've got I've got six to twelve months to impress them, to date them, to build this relationship. For them to get um, to know me. There's no there's no urgency that I like I might feel urgency on my part because I want to fill the hopper, but there's no urgency in having them make that decision because they're not going to be choosing someone else right now either. And so exactly. I have time for them to get to know me. And and I think um that's a really good point. And if you always think about it from your, like, you know, okay, well, what's the kind of person that I start following? It usually is a little bit from the distance at first. And then after a while, you've seen them on Facebook, you've seen their posts, you've seen, and they're so consistent and you're like, ah, that's the kind of person. Well, guess what happens? The email thread starts getting longer. The text conversations get more frequent and before long, you're in person, you're having coffee, and you're now talking about that next deal. And yeah. 12 months goes by like that. It's so fast. Mm-hmm. It really does. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, and that's the thing too. And the more you grow your, your, your database, um, you know, it, the more likelihood you're going to have, you know, that's why it's exponential, right? Your database just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So the pool of um, potential business grows and grows and grows. And I always equate it with this is all, all at the same time, you yourself are improving, right? So the leads that you might generate today are getting the experience that you're giving them today. But the leads that you generate six months from now, 12 months from now are going to get um, even more improved um, version, version of you. Of yeah. Because you've improved. Yeah, and exactly. And so if you look at that and you're always wanting to improve, and you're like, okay, I'm just going to be 1% better today. I'm going to tweak this. Or I'm going to change this, the verbiage on this. Or what, you know, what, what can I learn from somebody else? And you don't have to go and tra- tra- tragically, or, um, Tragic story. Um, tragically. <laughs> um, drastically is what I'm looking for. Uh, change everything like overnight, right? So going, oh, it's all wrong and I have to change this all, right? It's just like, okay, usually it's like minor little things here and there and, and in what you say and you're in, in but. Um, it's so true though. And, and what's really cool is it really does add up. So because it's an automation, you change one email today, guess what? The next day you change a second email. Now you've changed two emails. On the third day you change mm-hmm. a third email. That's really easy. I can change. I can edit an email once a day. If you did that 365 yep. days in a row, you'd, you'd have 365 awesome emails getting sent out in your automations without mm-hmm. having really worked very hard. And that is, if you can, if you start to understand the compound effect, you start to really, really understand the impact this can have. And there's one other thing I think that's worth saying is that there's, there's a, so there's a stage of one's business where you might think, okay, this is the point of time where I need to implement this. Um, if you are getting into any kind of business, you need to have set aside a marketing budget and that budget, it, maybe it will start for free. Maybe it's okay. My budget is my time because that's all I have. I don't have any clients yet. That's fine. But in my marketing budget, I have time. So I should allocate time block out of my calendar. This is how much time I'm going to spend marketing. It could be posts I create on social. It could be videos I create, reels I create. Also, events I put together. Maybe I'm inviting people over. Maybe I'm um, I'm doing, uh, again, these can all be low-cost ideas. I go door knocking. I go to Canvas neighborhoods. I drop off uh, flyers. This is a way, this is my marketing budget. All, of course, that costs a little bit more money because you got material and stuff. But um, very quickly, you realize that that much time, it starts to chew a lot of time out of your day. And now you're going to be working with clients. So if you're spending $500 a month on Facebook ads, it's actually really, really cheap. That's really cheap considering the number of people, the impressions you will have. It starts to add up in the in, in thousands, hundreds of thousands by the end of the year. And these are people who are now seeing you frequently. So just think about driving past a billboard every single day. That's great that they get a lot of, you get a lot of visual um, uh, 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 re reinforcement. So you start to really get to know who that is. Well, that's what Facebook's doing for you. Plus what it's also adding on is it's adding the call to action. So it's not just a billboard, but it's something that's convenient for somebody to take action on in the moment. They click a button, they fill out a form, they get something back as a result. Great. That gives them a little dopamine happiness. They got what they asked for. And then you now have an opportunity and somebody in your pipeline who you get to remarket with other campaigns 
other offers. Again, you're building your your know and that like and that trust over time. And it's such a small investment, but then becomes just a marketing expense that you know and you manage and you make sure is just is just pre-allocated because it'll only grow your business over time. The second you stop marketing, you're literally you're it's like you're cutting the lifeblood from a business. But when you start marketing, you're 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 generating lifeblood and it starts to have a big impact two, three, four, five months down the road. And it has it's the same, this is true for any business. And it's not yeah. like you know, one business has to spend more. Every business has to spend money on marketing because you you need to constantly be proactive at actually getting the word out so people know about you and they hear about you. And this is one of the things Facebook is so incredible good at because not only do they get to hear about you and know you, but you can actually have a conversation there. So it's a platform for connecting. So you can build relationships, you can connect, you can ask, you can message. Uh, so there, there, it's a very, very powerful, powerful way of getting really like into market. And if someone's moving like uh, community cities, you can turn the tap on tomorrow. It, it, what other kind of marketing is there that exists that can, that's possible? I don't think anything. And so it's truly, truly, truly remarkable, but you got to get the mind around, okay, I got to set and allocate $500 a month, no matter what. I need to have that marketing budget set out. And then that marketing budget starts to fill the pipeline right away and now you have something to work with but you're you're not just building your pipeline you're building your brand because on facebook the two things are done simultaneously because when you see an ad you see a person when you see an ad you see the logo you see the business name you see so so that is really important you got to get that um dialed in it's really really fundamental i think you got to understand that with facebook and um there's one other thought I'm just kind of missing on my mind right now, but is there anything else you'd add to that, Troy? I, I mean, that is it. That's the key. Like, I mean, the the reality is it's, it's always the age old, it, you know, uh, it takes money to make money. You know, the, it, 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 we can't get away from that. Right. Um, my wife and I were discussing that the other day and, and uh, you know, she brought up, she's like, yeah, my boss used to always say, you you need to spend five dollars to make twenty, um, and and it's very true, right? Um, and that's a four extra return. It's it's it yeah. Not that, even I mean, that's, 10 that's or an investment, right? And you know, it, it, it's an investment in your business. It's an investment in you. Um, and yeah, it's I I think we're all we're all, I mean we're all human, and it's hard to part um, <laughs> with those hard earned do- dollars. Um, but when you, and I think that's, you also have to look at it that way is like, okay, if I'm going to spend this money, I'm going to do my best to, to make it go as far as it can. Right. So, you know, if you spend money to get X number of leads, then work those leads, right. Because they did cost you. And, um, and so, you know, work it, don't let it just fall to the, to the, to the side and, and be consistent with that. And I think we you need to focus on on the work and not necessarily the the results because the results will come. They they will if you're if you're genuinely working, doing everything you can at the end of the day, uh, continuously improving, um, the results will come. Like they just they inevitably have to come. A hundred percent. And one of the things I think, like when we set goals, like you know when we're recording this is the beginning of the year. So if you if you if you think about you know, 12 months out, you set a goal, you want to have 12 
month goal. A lot of times people will set a goal, but then they haven't set all the actions that need to happen to make that goal a reality. A goal is just another word for vision. That's all it is. It's an outcome. It's a vision quantified with a number. I Maybe my goal is to, to work with a certain number of clients by the end of the year. You know, that that's a pretty common goal that you'll hear, you know, a business-minded person say, because that means something or do a certain amount of, of, of deals. I think a much better goal is actually to set a goal on the number of activities you're going to achieve and then break it down. Well, if I need to do that many activities by the end of the year, I need to have done, you know, uh, you know, let's say I need to have done 20 of those activities a week. So now I have a goal that I will hit 20 activities a week. If I want to lose weight, I could track how much weight I've lost, but that's very depressing. Instead, if I simply track calories in and the number of steps I do, guess what? The outcome will happen because I did. I paid attention on the things that would make it happen. And it might not happen today and it might not happen tomorrow. It might not even happen in the time period that I set out for it, but it will happen. Because I'm focusing on my my goal is happening. I'm hitting my targets, and I think that was very true when it comes to uh, setting goals. Is really set activities, and then the outcome will end up happening. And then the other thing I think is really important worth mentioning is that if you're new to to lead generation and you're and and you're like, okay, I know how to work with people. I know how to have great quality relationships with people. You might be working your leads. And, and there might be a bunch of people who are unresponsive. Do not delete those people. <laughs> do not throw them out. And definitely do not be rude to them if they do not respond. Because they are actually watching and listening to you. They're paying attention. And it's, sometimes it's very hard to get all the complete statistics data. Like, like you know, uh, you, you track so many open rates. You track so many of this. Well, there's a lot of opens that you aren't tracking. There's a lot of people who are watching your Facebook posts who, who are not like liking it or commenting it. And that is your database. That is your sphere. That's your influence. And they are actually observing you. And a lot of those people end up referring you. And so you want to make sure that you treat everybody, even the non-responsive people, as if they are your best client. And so every time you communicate, you communicate with that level. Um, Troy, is there any final things you want to, you share on this we kind of really dove into the lead generation side but it's been fun i can tell i'm a little bit passionate about this just a little just a little um i honestly i think it it really is go easy be easy on yourself um there there is no magic pill um or bean or whatever you want to call it that's going to um you know you can't you can't turn an ad on and then expect that somebody that's going to convert the very first person that comes through um, it takes time, uh, especially if you're never done top of funnel lead generation. It, it's a little bit far and it takes a bit. And I look at it this, this way is if you're dedicated to continuously improve, to focus on providing value, serving others, trying to establish a relationship, you will always win no matter what, because you're going to win at life, right? You're like, you're going to become a better person as a result. Like it, that again is inevitable. And as you improve, um, then everything else kind of just falls in place. Right. So, um, 
that I think is, is fundamentally, you know, really, really important. And, um, and so, you know, and, and like I said, be, go easy on yourself. You don't, you know, first lead comes in and they don't convert. That's fine. There's going to be more leads. There's, you know, you got opportunity. Yeah, that's really good. That's well said, Troy. So Troy, I just want to say thank you so much. Really appreciate this. I've enjoyed this very much. Um, and, uh, yeah, if, uh, if someone ever asks out, reaches out to you, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, Facebook. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. So Troy Mack on Facebook. All right, man. Really. Troy pre- David Mack. Troy David yeah. Mack. Okay. There's too many other Troy Macks. The, out there. the Costa Rica <laughs> Troy Mack. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. This has been fun. Anytime. Let's go.